0: Well, it's hard to believe we, uh, we've almost made it, right? We, uh, uh, 2020 is, is almost at an end. And of course, we know that uh, January 1st is not going to look uh, a whole lot different than December 31st, but um, the likelihood is that many of us, as we look especially to this coming new year... Look with something of a sense of uh, of hope, of uh, expectation, of anticipation for what this year is going to hold. And uh, certainly, every year there is a sense in which we we all do that. There's there's the stepping out into the unknown of the new year, and that can be both a little bit scary, a little frightening, because we don't know all of what's going to happen. I mean, think about it. Uh, This time last year, we had no clue what this year was going to bring. And so we can have a little bit of a sense of trepidation, and yet it's also a time where we kind of look forward with that little glimmer, perhaps, of excitement, of something new. of of stepping out into the unknown but but with anticipation that things will be exciting, Uh, that there will be new joys and new blessings that we will experience in this year ahead. And, of course, we are eagerly hoping for something of a return to being able to interact with one another in a more natural way. But as we think about this dawn of a new year, there's a sense in which we could say that what we really do each January 1st is we kind of hit the reset button. And uh, there's a lot of different ways in which perhaps uh, we find ourselves in different places, different seasons, different situations in our life, and we think to ourselves, I I sure wish that I really did have a reset button. Let's, Let's do that one over again uh let's get back and and start out and 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 to be honest uh, that can be a very helpful very positive thing for us to do in in fact uh it um it's been said that the uh uh famous uh, football coach, uh, uh, Vince Lombardi, would uh, start off the new season every year. You're probably familiar with this. He'd walk into the locker room. and Of course, these are all professional football players. But he would start off going back to basics, start off with resetting. He would pick it up and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, of course, they already knew that. But his, his, his purpose for doing that was saying there's a time that we need to get back. Back to fundamentals. We need to start from scratch. We need to begin over. My son uh, in, in recent months has just uh, started doing a, a little bit of karate. And every week that he goes to his karate lessons, they do the same things over and over again from the very first position. Uh, it's the same in other uh, things. Like in, in, in ballet, they have first position and second position. And, and, and you move through these things. But every time that you begin afresh. You go back to step one. You hit the reset button and you build from there. And you know, there's a sense that in our spiritual lives, in our walk with Christ, we need to be people who regularly hit the reset button. And the way in which we do that as we're going to see unfolded in our passage from the book of Isaiah this morning, is through a heart of repentance. Now, we have in recent weeks on this Advent lead up to Christmas been moving through the book of Isaiah. And in fact, uh, uh, the, the, the title slide I had up there a moment ago still said Christmas on it because, you know, we're not out of the Christmas season yet. But um, As we remain in this season, as we continue, and as today we wrap up this short series that we've been in in the book of Isaiah, we've really been looking at the idea of the prophetic ministry of Isaiah as he foretold the coming of Christ. But our passage this morning, which we're going to find in a moment in Isaiah chapter 63 and chapter 64, It's not so much a prophecy about the coming of Christ. It is rather as as the book closes out, as the prophetic ministry of Isaiah begins to, to, to wind down and come to an end. It is a declaration that a restored people will come, will be raised up by the Lord because of the ministry, because of the work of this promised Messiah but that even in this great restoration that there is still the need to recognize our rightful place before god and humble ourselves before him If you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to join me there this morning. In fact, you're really going to need one to to follow along with us. And so whether you're at home and you want to click on uh, the button at the bottom of your screen or open up your Bible uh, or whether you're here in person, I want to invite and encourage you. And, you know, even as we think of the new year turning, um, let me just challenge you. Uh, Pastor Rich just mentioned about a Bible reading program. You know, one of the great ways to to be successful, if you like, in a Bible reading program during the course of the year is to be involved in actually bringing your Bible to church and cracking it open on a Sunday morning. And uh, uh, that's so important. And you've heard me say this before, but it is vitally important that you check what I'm saying and what Pastor Rich is saying and what Pastor Matt is saying. And you follow along and make sure that what we are teaching is what this says. And so as we turn to Isaiah chapter 63, we're going to look beginning in verse 15. And we're going to see that we need to reset. And this begins with a petition, a prayer for mercy. And and, and we could summarize what we're going to see in this first section of this passage by really saying, Lord, have mercy Prophet Isaiah says, look down from heaven and see. And so he's addressing this to God. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion. They are held back from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. He starts here in this prayer for mercy by addressing God who is in heaven. And he says, God, would you look down from the splendor and the majesty and the glory of heaven? And, and would you turn your face toward us? Uh, would you uh, uh, once again look with compassion and with mercy toward us? Uh, don't forget that we are your people. Then he continues in verse 17, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Now, that seems to be a strange prayer, uh, but what we've got to understand is that Isaiah here is not accusing God of wrongdoing. Uh, when he says here, why do you make us wonder from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not, he, he, he's not saying, God, you are the cause of our unfaithfulness. No, you see, from the, uh, beginning to end in the pages of Scripture, we find this principle laid out, and perhaps most clearly it is seen in Pharaoh in the, in the book of Exodus, And and we see there over and over again this idea of the heart becoming hard. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And we actually see a very interesting pattern there. And the Apostle Paul picks it up in the book of Romans as well. And it's what Isaiah is talking about here. You see, when a person hardens their heart toward God, God will respond by hardening that person's heart. That there is, when there is a closed-offness, when there is a refusal, when there is a denial of the things of God, God will allow that person to continue their own way. And we're going to see that more as this passage unfolds. And so Isaiah here is not accusing God of wrongdoing, saying, God, why did you make us do this? He's saying, God, why are you allowing us to continue in our own hardness and unfaithfulness. Won't you intervene? Won't you turn us around? Won't you soften what we have hardened? Instead of continuing to harden what we have hardened. In other words, he is crying out for mercy. He's saying, God, we've messed up. Would you show compassion? He continues, says, return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Now, this passage is interesting because we find it, as I mentioned, at the end of the book of Isaiah. There's only uh, 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Here we are in chapter 63, so we're towards the end of the book. Uh, Isaiah uh, ministered, he prophesied, somewhere in the region of around about 740 uh, to around about uh, um, uh, 700 perhaps, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that B.C. And and, and so what he's actually talking about here is something that was still future to his original audience, something that was still yet to come Uh, in, in 605 B.C., Uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon would sweep in and begin to carry off captives from Jerusalem. Later on, uh, a few years later in 586 BC, he would come again and he would utterly demolish Jerusalem and take the people into exile and captivity and they would be there for 70 years. But that's still about 100 years or so future from when Isaiah is writing. And so what we see in the context of this book of of prophecy of Isaiah right here is that Isaiah is, in a sense, equipping and preparing the people way ahead of time. And he's saying, when this happens to you, when you face the divine discipline of God because of your sin, here's how you must respond. With humility, crying out, "Lord, have mercy and so here he is uh, uh, is talking about the fact that that they are being uprooted or have been uprooted from the land, they, they, the possession that they held for a little while, that the sanctuary that the temple has been trodden down, and he says, at that time we will be like a people over as if you had never ruled over us. in other words, that the people would be acting in such a way as if they didn't even know God. So he's talking here about the people of Israel as a whole, the people of Judah. And he's saying... When you find yourself in this place, facing the divine, righteous discipline of God, call out to Him, acknowledge the fact that you are acting in a manner that is utterly inconsistent with your knowledge of God. You know what? We live in a day-to-day which is not so very different than that. I am not amongst those who are quick to look at the things happening in the world and point at everything and say, this is divine judgment. This is divine discipline. But I do believe that God does things to get our attention and to call us back to him. Is COVID the discipline of God? What I will say is that if we don't allow COVID to discipline us into a closer relationship with God. Then I think that we are in a very precarious situation, spiritually speaking. And the prayer of Isaiah for his people, what he's in a sense teaching them to say is to call upon God in his holy temple and say, God, would you show compassion to us? Would you show mercy to us? To us, It's interesting because uh, as we move into chapter 64 here, uh, uh, the following verses, uh, the petition in a sense continues uh, from saying, Lord, have mercy. He then, he then uh, really says, Lord, would you make yourself known? In, in chapter 64, verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and the nations, that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. For from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for Him. And so the petition here is, Is Lord, would you make yourself known in incredible ways? And, and really what he's saying here is, is, God, you are exalted in the high and holy place. Would you come down and would you move in power in such a way that everybody would know who you are? You know, one of the things about the living and true God, is that throughout history, where He has moved and acted in miraculous ways, it has never been simply for the sake of miraculous signs. A lot of people get confused by this. People are enamored by miracles or by signs and wonders. And the people of Isaiah's day, they, they were looking for this and that and the other and the false gods and the false prophets promised various different things. And sometimes they were even able to perform false acts which wowed the people. But when God moves, it is not to show off. It is so that everyone will know who he is and what he is like. And within the larger context of the book of Isaiah, we actually see this idea of this this promised Messiah who would come. And I think it is very interesting because we have this beautiful prayer here, this petition, Lord, would you make yourself known? He says, "Uh, really, God, would would you cause the heavens to crack open? Would you come down with such power that everybody would know who you are? And of course, we have just celebrated at Christmas the fact that our faithful God has answered this prayer, that God quite literally cracked open the heavens and physically, bodily came down that the only begotten Son of God would take on human flesh and come and dwell amongst us. How amazing that God Himself, that the divine Son would leave the glory and the majesty and the splendor of heaven and pitch His tent among us that we might know Him. We have a God who delights to make himself known to his people. And you know, there's coming a time. And the author of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, speaks of this. There's coming a time where just as Isaiah is praying here, this will happen. That the heavens will be rended. That they will be cracked open. That Christ will come again. And when he comes, the mountains will shake. And when he comes, every eye will see. And when he comes, there will be no question and no doubt as to who he is. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God delights to make himself known and there's coming a day. It's coming a day when every eye will see and that will be a day of judgment. And that's what Isaiah is praying here. He's praying, God, would you intervene? Would you interact? Would you come down? Would you come and make yourself known amidst the people who have become cold and hard-hearted and stiff-necked and compromised and uncaring as to anything related to you? He says, do as you've done in the past. This idea of the mountain shaking and quaking and the fire uh, burning and consuming actually gives the image of, uh, of, of what happened when Moses and the people of Israel were at Mount Sinai. And God said to Moses, make sure that nobody, not even any of the livestock, touch this mountain. And Moses went up on the mountain and the whole mountain shook as God spoke with and met with him. So Isaiah has this idea of the powerful presence of God amidst his people that they might know and recognize him. Even the Apostle Paul, interestingly, points to this very passage when he's speaking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And he quotes verse 4 here of chapter 64 where it says, For of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And he's speaking there to the Corinthians about the fact that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Because, you see, we have a God who is invested in His people and who delights to work on behalf of His people. And so Isaiah, understanding this, counsels, instructs, encourages a people who have been wayward to cry out to God, saying, God, have mercy. God, make yourself known. You know, as I think of turning the page on the calendar into 2021. What better way could we do that than to start off by saying, God, would you have mercy? Would you have mercy on me? Would you have mercy on this church? Would you have mercy on this town? Would you have mercy on this land? And God, would you make yourself Known in an undeniable way that people in my family, that people in my community, that people all around me would see and know who you are. And that I would see afresh and understand the greatness of who you are. But needs not only says, Lord, would you have mercy? And God, would you? Make yourself known. But as we move into verse 5, we see that that part of this prayer is the acknowledgement, Lord, we are undeserving. We're undeserving. I think that that we have to be careful that we don't move past this too quickly. Beginning in verse 5, he says, You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Uh, We like that verse as a reminder of the fact that God delights to bring blessing and work on behalf of those who acknowledge him. Um, But notice what he continues in this prayer of saying. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? there is a recognition here of the absolute desperate state that they are in before a holy God. In fact, uh, where here in the ESV that I'm using, it says, Behold, you were angry and we sinned. I I think that the language there actually uh, distorts uh, what Isaiah uh, in the original language was saying. Because really what this is saying is, is we knew... That what we were going to do would make you angry. And we did it anyway. You see, Isaiah, on behalf of his people, is acknowledging the fact that our predicament before a holy God is that we like to shake our fist at God and say, we know what you said, God but we're going to do our own thing anyway. Oh, we know that you have said that to disobey you, to walk in our own ways brings only righteous wrath. So what? Gonna keep on sleeping with my girlfriend anyway. So what? Gonna cheat on my tax returns. So what? I'm going to do, God, what I'm going to do. And sure, I may show up to church on Sunday morning and sing the songs and go through the motions, but this stuff over here, God, this is my stuff. So you stay out of this. And the people of Israel... And many who name the name of Jesus Christ today continue in this way. And you know what? We are surrounded by people in this nation, uh, in the church, and certainly outside of the church. There are many people who like to think of themselves as being God-fearers. But actually, knowing what God says, we shake our fist. One of the great challenges that we have as a nation is this that we know just enough about God to be oh so willful in our rebellion. It's not like for the most part most of the people have no clue, have no concept of morality whatsoever. We have great blessings in this nation that we have been built and founded on Judeo-Christian principles They they are, even though there are many people who try to deny this, they're kind of woven into so much of what we are familiar with in our culture, and so nobody has an excuse here. And certainly, that's true anywhere you might go in the world, because God, even in creation, has revealed enough about Himself that none of us. Or without excuse. But Isaiah recognizes and he puts his finger on this here. He says the problem that we all face before a holy God. Is that we invite his wrath. Because we don't take him seriously. So he says behold you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time time we've been wallowing in them and then he asked this question and shall we be saved in other words he, he he's reminding us of the fact that we are utterly undeserving uh, we are so completely undeserving of the mercy of god that we've cried out for because we have been comfortable in our sins and and we can't just think oh well you know what i'll, I'll just pray this little prayer I'll just get this done with. I'll I'll just show up to church, you know, maybe the first Sunday of the new year, start out right. No. We cannot presume upon the mercy of God. In fact, he goes on to to, to explain uh, again that we are undeserving as he continues in verse 6 and following. He says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, uh, one of the big misconceptions that we have is that sin is about doing stuff that we shouldn't do. Sin is not at its very nature about what we do or what we don't do. It's not about our acts of behavior per se. Those acts of behavior are the fruit, are the result of the issue of sin. And the issue of sin is simply this. We willfully turn away from God. That's what sin is. Sin is actually relational, biblically speaking. Sin is all about our proximity or lack of proximity to God. And if we are out of relationship with Him because we have turned our back on His ways, we refuse to agree with Him over uh, uh, His declaration as to that which is right and good and pleasing and holy, that is at the root of our sin. And so that's why Isaiah here can say, even our righteous deeds, even the stuff that looks and appears good, is like a polluted garment. Actually, that polluted garment, it's not really a very nice phrase there. I mean, you can think, uh, it it, it literally means like a garment that is covered in excrement. It is wretched, it's stinking. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, well, my good deeds, as long as they outweigh the bad, then that's all... uh, when God looks at your good deeds, you know what he sees? Excrement. There's a lot of people when we look and we say, well, you know, that person doesn't acknowledge Jesus Christ, but they're so good. And, and they do all of these things, and they do this for charity, and they do this, and they volunteer their time, and, and that's wonderful. And thanks be to God. That is an expression of common grace. But they desperately need a Savior. Because before a holy God, is not that they're not doing works that appear on the surface to be good. It is that they are out of fellowship with a holy God. They are doing them apart from God, turning their back on their creator. And therefore, everything that we do out of fellowship with God is condemnable to hell. we are undeserving. We all fade like a leaf, he says. All of our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name. I'll let you into a secret. I don't really like the whole seeker-sensitive thing that churches talk about because nobody seeks God. No such thing as a seeker. Why? Because we all love going our own way. It is only when we say, God, have mercy. God, show yourself and make yourself known. God, we are undeserving. A hard heart cannot by itself become softened toward God. It is only the mercy of God that brings that about. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take a hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. What's the saying? Again, God, we are undeserving and we are desperate. We are desperate because here's the thing. Our sin has put us in a situation where, where literally it is like a big vat. It's like a big melting pot. And there's all of our sin and the consequences of all of our sin. And we are swimming in it joyfully. And God, you have responded by saying, if you love that sin so much, why don't you just keep on swimming in it? You See, here's the desperate predicament of all of humanity. That as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter one, we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We have preferred sin than the glory of God. And therefore, God has handed us over to our sin. And we are in a situation, if you can imagine, like the humongous vat of bubbling sin. And God has said, do not go that way. And we've said, forget you, God. And we've taken a running jump into it. And we find ourselves in a situation where there is no way out. We cannot reach out. We cannot pull ourselves out. There is no way out whatsoever. God, who is gracious and merciful, compassionate and kind, has warned us and said, do not go that way. Stay near to me. And yet we have done that. And our only hope, our only hope is that he would have mercy, though we are undeserving, and that he would be the one to reach down and take us out of the very place that he told us never to go. Thanks be to God. This is where the the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ intersects with our desperate need. Every single human being who has ever lived, who ever will live, has rebelled against this holy God. And we are all in the same predicament that we are melting in the hand of our iniquities. But God has opened the heavens. Through Jesus Christ, he has come down. He has intervened to make himself known. And as it says in Mark's gospel, he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, there are some of us who have been around church for a really long time. And as we've gone through this Christmas season, we have been rejoicing uh, in, in, in the birth of the Savior. We've been remembering the incarnation. We've been celebrating that. And we have been reflecting on the fact that because Christ has come, that we who were separated from God now through his death and his resurrection have been reconciled. And our sins, this situation that Isaiah is describing here, they have been paid for. The demand of sin has been met. Christ is our sacrifice and our substitute and our provision. But there are some of us who are watching online right now, perhaps some of us who are gathered here this Sunday morning. And we've continued to think, oh, you know what, I'm doing fine. Can take a little bit of God here, but for the most part i'm off on my own, and i'm doing yeah and and, and i I pray occasionally, but i don't really have a need of god i, I like I, I like some of the christmas carols I, I i I like some of this, and I like some of that, and I love the whole little Jesus safe and cute in the manger Jesus. But what Isaiah is reminding his hearers oh so many years ago and us still today is that this is not a game. This is not, Jesus is an optional extra. We are utterly. Desperately, without hope, apart from Jesus Christ, we are consumed by sin, separated from a holy God, and guess what? I don't care how smart you are, how wealthy you are, how impressive you are, there's nothing that you can do, nothing that you can do to deal with your sin issue, and that's why we need a Savior. The gospel is not the gospel at all unless we recognize that it is vital. It is imperative. Christ came not to make our lives better. Christ came not so that we could have a, a, a holiday in the middle of December before we get into the cold and long months of January and February. Christ came because there was no other way for you and for me. To be reconciled to a God against whom we have shook our fist. And so, after crying out, Lord, have mercy. After crying out, Lord, make yourself known. After acknowledging their sin, Lord, we are undeserving. And that's a place that we all need to come to. Lord, we are undeserving. You know, one of the great problems that we have is that we have grown up in a culture that has said, you're great, you're special, you're worth it, you're a winner. And we, we carry this whole life. Before God, we are undeserving. We have nothing to bring. Nothing. Nothing. We must approach God from this recognition that we are undeserving. He finally closes this section and he says, Lord, remember us and forgive our sins. Look with me, beginning in verse 8 of of chapter 64. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not So terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. And if you look at this text, uh, what we see here is, and I've underlined these, it says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And then down here, behold, please look, we are all your people. And so there's really a prayer here, Lord, would you remember? Would you remember? But what's really interesting is that remembrance is a two-way street. Really, in their acknowledgement here, as they confess their sin, what they're actually doing is they're not saying, God, don't forget us. Because this is God we're talking about. He has a really good memory. That's not what he's saying. Uh, You know, God's not sat up in heaven. It's like, oh, who's that one again? Hey, d- does anyone remember their name? I do that sometimes. Le- uh, Lisa and I will talk after church, and we'll be like, yeah, I was talking to this person, and I can't remember their name. Do you, do you, do you, re- do you remember who? God doesn't do that. Uh, this is not about Him remembering, but what it is about is them saying, uh, "God, oh, we remember that You're our Father." God, we remember. That we're the clay and you're the potter. Incidentally, they're not saying here, therefore blame God for anything that you don't like. No, this, th- this speaking about uh, us being clay and God being the potter is not so we can say, God, I don't like the way He made. No, it, it is an acknowledgement of the fact that, you know what, God can do whatever he wants with the clay. And so they're remembering this. They're remembering the fact that they are utterly under the mastery of the potter. That they have nothing to bring, nothing to demand. Again, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans uses the same imagery right here from out of Isaiah. And he says, the clay cannot say to the potter, why have you made me this way? Why? Because the potter gets to do what the potter wants to do because he's the potter. And God gets to do what God wants to do because he's God. says, we are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so in this cry, in this calling out to God, yes, there is the, God, don't forget us. God, would you, would you have mercy on us? But there's also here, we see this beautiful repositioning. We see this beautiful pressing the reset button as they remember their place before God. And at the root Of the Christian life. At the root of true repentance. Is the fact that we need to remember our place. And God's place. And we need to make sure we don't get them mixed up. He says. Be not so terribly angry. Remember not iniquity forever. In other words. Don't continue to hold our sin against us. And then in verse 10, your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burnt to fire. It's interesting, back in uh, where we started in chapter 63, uh, verse 15, it, it talks about God looking down from his holy and beautiful place. Uh, and now it's talking about our holy and beautiful place in reference to the temple. And he says, all of this has been devastated. And then finally, in chapter 4, uh, uh, 64, verse 12, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? So they've kind of laid out this prayer. They've laid out this petition. Lord, have mercy. Lord, make yourself known. Lord, we are undeserving. Lord, remember and forgive. Close saying, so Lord, will you fail to act? Lord, don't forget, would you do as we have pleaded? And if we had the time, we would go into chapter 65 and we would see God's response. And God's response is, I have spent day and night calling out to a people who refuse to listen. I have spent day and night to woo my people back, and yet they would not come. And yet it goes on to talk about the restoration that will come through the promised Messiah as those who, Hearts are not only softened, but they are transformed because of what the Messiah, what this Christ will do. We see here a beautiful prayer. We see here a call to reset. And what we discover is that repentance is vital to the Christian life repentance was vital in the days of Isaiah, and it's still vital for us today. Isaiah spoke to the people of his day and a future generation of exiles, and, and, and uh, through the prophets, in particular through Malachi, he, he, he says, return to me and I will return to you. And that's really, the, 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 if you like, the summation of this portion of the book of Isaiah. Return to me and I will return to you. It's not that God has gone anywhere, but that he holds his hand like this to those who refuse to humble themselves before him. Is this really important? Did you know that God will not hear your prayers if you are unrepentant? It's what it teaches in the Psalms. It's what David said. God, is death to the prayers of people who hold on to their sin and refuse to acknowledge it. God says, we can talk when you're ready to deal with that issue. Return to me and I will return to you. Repentance is the call to a wandering people in need of God because he has been merciful now to rend the heavens and come down. I already alluded to this, but I love the fact that that, that God has Himself made Himself known through Christ, our Savior. That the very prayer that Isaiah prayed some seven hundred years before the birth of Christ in Jerusalem, uh, in Bethlehem, is is fulfilled in His coming. Rend the heavens. And come down. And so as we gather here today, as we watch online today, here's the great news. Everything that we need, that every sin that we have committed, there is provision for our forgiveness now because of Christ. Our sin, our rebellion is a great obstacle. It is a crisis for every person. It is real, it is pervasive, and it's not so much about our individual acts as it is, about our overall affront to God. When we are in right relationship to God through Jesus Christ, then the fruit of that will be shown in our good works. It's actually what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. And so we find ourselves in this place where we recognize that forgiveness and restoration, which Isaiah instructed the people to seek God for, is now available through Christ. Uh, Repentance and faith is vital for all people. And so today, if you don't know what it is, to have received the forgiveness of God, to be in relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, there is nothing more important that you can do today than to acknowledge before God that you need a Savior and to confess before Him that you have shaken your fist, you've chosen to go your own way, you have preferred your way than His and that that is sin and that apart from Christ you are lost but to recognize that when Jesus Christ came, when he lived that perfect and sinless life, when he died on the cross, it was in your place and mine to bear your sin and mine so that we could be forgiven. And because he rose again from the dead, that shows us that his payment for our sin was acceptable, that it has been dealt with, the debt has been paid, and we are free through him and only through him. And so I would plead with you, If you have never acknowledged your need of a savior. Do not wait another day. Do not wait another day. If you feel the spirit of God prompting you today. Do not harden your heart. Because you are undeserving. And yet God has chosen to make a way. For you to receive his mercy. So do it today. But, you know, repentance and faith is also vital for every believer. As we get ready for a new year, please understand this. That the Christian life is all about repentance. It is a daily posture, a daily state that we find ourselves in. It's not a kind of one and done. In in fact, we might say that true repentance... True repentance is, is not a momentary prayer, but it is a deliberate daily agreement with God and an obedience to his ways, independence on his spirit. It is an agreement with God over our sin, that it is indeed sin and that we must turn from it. And in turning from it, which is what repentance is, turning away from sin and to God, we must continue to walk in his ways. It is a daily commitment that we make. So how do we do that? How do we live a life of repentance? How do we enter into 2021? How do we close out 2020 making sure that we hit the reset button? That we are in a healthy place. That we are in a situation and in a place where we can, before God, rejoice in the knowledge that he delights to do things beyond all that we could ask or imagine in the lives of those who are his people. It starts off, we have to keep short accounts with God. We need to keep short accounts with him. That means that we need to get real with our sin, that we don't hold on to it, that we don't kind of ignore it or make excuses for it as the spirit of God prompts you and reveals to you an area of disobedience and an area of, of sin, an area of partial obedience or delayed obedience because that's disobedience. Then deal with it before God. Acknowledge it and say, God, Forgive me for this. This is really hard for me, but I, I, I turn this over to you and I agree with you that this is sin and I want to follow your ways. have got to be in that posture. We also need to get in the word of God and prayerfully seek to live in obedience to it. That's why something like a reading plan as we enter into the new year is so vital. Uh, We've got to get into it. You know the way that we know that we are walking in God's ways is by reading about God's ways. And, and, and whenever we come to a passage of Scripture, our prayer ought to be, God, would you, would you reveal to me anywhere where my life is inconsistent with what you have revealed in, in, in your word? So that I might correct course and follow you. And we need to keep remembering who he is, that he is the Lord, that he is the potter, and that we are the clay. Because when we have that posture, when we remember our proper place before him, then we are not quite so tempted to try to snatch the throne from him. And so many of us, many of us are hoping that 2021 will be better. Many of us have have great expectations for the days ahead. But I just want to encourage us today, don't put your hope or your confidence in a set of resolutions that you're going to break before the end of next week. Instead, as we approach the new year, remember that no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen a God beside him who acts for those who wait for him. We need to hit the reset button. We need to, in repentance, agree with God over our sin and over his lordship in every area of our lives. And then we will be able to look into this new year with great expectation and knowing that whatever may come, he is our God. We are his people and we walk together with him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you for this year that has passed. There have been times where it has perhaps felt hard to do that. And yet you have sustained us. You have led us. You have been merciful to us and blessed us in so many ways, even beyond our comprehension. And yet, Lord, along with the prophet Isaiah and the people of old, we confess to you. Lord, we need your mercy. We ask that, Lord, you would make yourself known in our lives and in this land in a fresh way in these days to come. Before you, O God, we confess that we are undeserving. And so, Lord, on behalf of those gathered here and watching online, I cry out to you saying, Lord, would you forgive us our sins? For those who have never yet trusted in Christ and received that forgiveness of sin, I I, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, today would be the day where you would prompt them to cry out, saying, God, I have shaken my fist at you. I've tried to make excuses, but I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Thank you that even when I didn't know that I needed a savior, you already have sent your son, Jesus, to bear my sin and to die my death and to take the punishment that I deserve. Lord, there's a lot that I don't know, but as best as I know how, I surrender all I am and all that I have to you. I want to follow you. I want to walk in obedience to you. I want to go your way and not mine any longer. So, God, here I am forgive me, save me, free me. And Lord, I pray that in my life and all who are under the sound of my voice, that as we prepare for this new year and enter into it, that we would do so in joyful confidence and in ever-growing intimacy with you, O God. For the glory of your name, Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us once again this morning. If you prayed along with me there acknowledging your sin and your need of a Savior. There's a place, if you're watching online, that you can uh, indicate that. You can connect with one of our prayer counselors who would love to talk with you more about your next steps in your walk with Jesus. If you're here in the room, uh, you can either connect with me after the service or Pastor Rich, or there's the communication cards right there in your seats. Please, we would be delighted to connect with you and to help you take your next step. As you prepare to celebrate the new year, um, we are praying for you. We're so thankful for you. We want to invite you to come back again next Sunday and start the new year off in, in God's word together. But as we go from here now, I want to share with you, I guess it's a benediction, uh, a poem of the author of which is anonymous. And yet this poem every year at the turn of the year comes to my mind and is encouraging to me, and I think fits well with what we've seen here in our passage this morning. It's called The Gate of the Year. It says, I said to the man that stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he said to me, step out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God for that shall be to you better than any light and safer than any known way. So stepping out into the darkness, I found the hand of God, and he led me into the new year and the dawning of the day. May you enter 2021 hand in hand with our gracious God, and may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen.